Okay, today I have with me Declan Dunn. He is a growth developer, the growth developer at Dunn Simply. And we're going to talk about chat GPT and AI generally, but largely this conversation started around chat GPT and a little back and forth on LinkedIn. So Declan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Chris. Glad to join you. So by way of background, um, you know, I think I commented on a post about chat GPT on LinkedIn last week. And, you know, I, I have concerns. Let's put it that way. And you yep. came back and you said, hey, I think it could be really useful for certain things, which I don't deny. And I'm curious to learn, you know, what you've seen, what you think are possibilities. And then, you know, we can talk about some of the things that I find challenging even though I'm sure I'm going to end up using it. You and I were just talking about writing. One mm -hmm. of my first posts on CC Life Science was about all the places AI is that you don't even think about. And I used an AI writer I, to test it out, and it gave me a pretty good outline. I only used one sentence from the whole thing because it didn't sound mm -hmm. like me, and I didn't know what of it was bullshit. <laughs> I, I couldn't verify, even though it all made sense. It sounds perfectly good, but I don't know. So, do you want to describe it for anybody who's been under a yeah. rock for the last two months? <laughs> right, right. It's hard not. The hype is here. Um, and, and beyond all the hype, ChatGPT is what's called generative AI. So, the idea is that you ask it a question which is, we'll get into, that's the hard part, but you ask it a question and then it can, it's been loaded up with all sorts of data. It's, it's quite impressive in certain subjects, though to your point, is this accurate? There's actually a whole nother AI that checks out if ChatGPT is accurate. <laughs> so, but, and that's gonna happen. If they look at it about 80-20 right now, which is probably optimistic, 20% is sort of garbage. Um, it doesn't know enough because, and uh, what AI is is just basically there's all these words and patterns and things it's done. So if it knows something and has enough data, and we're talking data, Chris, we're talking trillions of, I mean, because until it does that, it's sort of think of it like a human being, like a writer. When I'm a writer, you write really well. You know, we're both writers. So we enjoy the words. And what we learned was over time, how to express ourselves in words. So the more experience reading, practice we could do, the better we get. Well, AI is like that on steroids, but it needs so much data to actually get where it can sort of go from what's called training, where it's learning, like I was as an early writer, I'm learning, I'm practicing, and then I got practiced, and then it can get what's called inference, meaning it can sort of make connections and be sort of intelligent, not sentient. Let's get away the Terminator garbage. It's not sentient, but it has enough to make your question into something functional. So I can go into AI and the big pitch is, oh, you could write a play. You could write an article. You can write a blog post. All true. But the funny thing is someone said, anybody can write a bad play. But <laughs> in the end, if you don't have a voice to it, especially using it, it's tricky because I feel that, and, and down the road, if it gets enough data points, maybe it can come up with a voice, but how realistic is it to come up with your voice? So I find it a wonderful brainstorming tool, but it'll spit out some stuff. Like I asked it a question about, oh, 
I can't even imagine life sciences. If I asked about CRISPR, any, you know, any CRISPR person is going to laugh, right? Because you're going to get, unless it's able to go to PubMed or something, but it can't really scan that data, I don't think, right? It can't scan that research. I don't know. <laughs> well, this is a great question. And if it can, does it owe money or at least the link to the person who wrote it? That's going to bring a bunch of lawsuits this year because it's inherently what's called derivative. It means, and what's sort of funny is it's going to take all this content and create something and it hasn't asked for permission. It just scraped it. What's called scraping means it sends its bot to the site, gets the words on your page, whatever, puts them in some thing way beyond any of our understanding in terms of databases, and then comes and is able to put all this stuff together. But for example, they just found out that like... Um, if you were looking for the best places to eat in Las Vegas, I'm going there next week for a specific restaurant. Somebody has written an article and Yelp has it content. Well, they were scraping Yelp and now they're just starting to put, just like Google does, right? Oh, wait a minute. The source is Yelp because they're about to face a lot of lawsuits in chat GPT. And I don't think this is going to be the end of it, but they're saying, hey, is that my work? I, did I give you permission? Nobody, I mean, it wasn't even conceived of because it's a nonprofit that was just bought by Microsoft. And <laughs> sorry, I'm not a Microsoft fan. So I, that doesn't bode well, in my opinion, but we shall see. Microsoft has a tendency to destroy really good tech. Um, real bad bias on my part there. But is it actually, because it's what it's doing is taking all of our ideas. Let's say CRISPR, it's going to take this CRISPR article, that CRISPR article, whatever it has access to and bring it in. And what's interesting is are we going to be able to block these AIs? Like I can block Google from searching my site. You can say, hey, no Google, no Bing. You can't read my language. You can't put it on. Obviously, I don't do it, but you can do it. We're going to see that for AI because do you really, if you're a writer and you're creating, especially CRISPR, right? If you're actually creating real intelligent research, do you really want somebody else to say, hey, write me a CRISPR article? And take your, not necessarily take your words, but take your content and make a derivative piece. Right. So there is an answer to that. And you bring up one of my main concerns is not knowing the source. So I did have a conversation with someone for a potential podcast here from a company called Consensus. And you can ask it scientific questions. And it will give you answers. But it also, and so it has been trained on PubMed. And it will pull, it has been trained to identify statements of fact versus statements of opinion or mm. any other thing. But it shows you the reference. Like this paper says this statement. And then you can go through and kind of weigh because, uh, you know, I went and tested it on vaccine information, of course, right? And I thought, mm. well, how, you know, I'm sure <laughs> there's plenty of information going both ways on that one. How does it decide or what, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I had some thoughts there. Going backwards through some of the things you mentioned. So one, source. Two, um, credit. The, a lot of my thinking comes, my wife's an artist and follows a lot of other artists whose work is sometimes just outright ripped off online. And then, but also used to train. And then, you know, what's the value of art that a machine came up with? I mean, is it, more valuable than a spire graph, <laughs> you know, the, the things mm. we used as kids. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not, you know, it's fun, but it's not really art. 
Maybe. And then writing books. I saw a post on LinkedIn this morning. A woman said, I wrote this children's book, and she put up the whole text while I was in the carpool line in kindergarten this morning. <laughs> I told ChatGPT to tell me about a monster who lost all his friends, but learned to appreciate nature in the woods. While listening back to this episode in the edit, I realized I have made a mistake. It was not a woman who wrote this book in the carpool lane. It was David Nathan. And in fact, he will be the next guest on Life Science Marketing Radio <clears throat> in a week. And we will go into how he illustrated this book using MidJourney, a generative AI tool, and how he wrote it in the carpool lane with five kids in the back seat. So apologies to everyone. And let's get back to my interview with Declan Dunn. And then you read it and you realize your other point, that, and then I'll stop, is your voice, which I think maybe one of the posts I put up on LinkedIn this week is the value of an actual human voice that you can tag to a certain person or hear it from their mouth goes up. Hmm. Or, I mean, I, I think I wrote, oh, maybe it's in my notes here. The value of what you put out is either going up or down, but it's not staying the same anymore. I, well, I think that's what's funny. As a writer, that's always been the struggle. I mean, what is every writer like? I am still looking for my voice in a good way. It's it's not like <laughs> it's a journey. It's certainly not a destination. You know, oh, here's my voice. Stephen King is a possible exception. But, you know, I mean, you're constantly looking for it. And that's what makes you unique. And that's what, like, because I think a lot of this will have a very generic end, like in financial services, there's been tons of maybe not AI, but sort of database driven things, probably in science too, the generic stuff, not the stuff where you get really deep, but the sort of higher level stuff we all know, and then you can get into a deeper level. But without your voice as a writer, that's the only, that's why I don't think AI will be the death of writers nor the death of artists, because the key you have to remember is it's having to copy what we, it's not making this up. We're putting the information into it. In fact, the bad part of AI is humans are basically telling it what it wants to do. It's not really like a little kid where it's like, okay, and this kid in five, 10 years, well, maybe I shouldn't say this because who knows, but it's not going to like create this like new way of looking at the world. It's only going to go from the data it's had. And as that gets broader, I do think, like, apparently this year you'll see your first AI book from a major publisher, but more as a pitch. I mean, you can certainly send a story and say, hey, this is this person and that person, and, you know, they did this and that, and it'll create a story just like if you and I were a fiction writer, we would start the same way. But generically, if it's inherently built on other people's work, especially right now, let's say this is early days. How we're seeing it in five years is going to be different. But what's really interesting is I don't think it's so much the creation of original work, because frankly, if everybody can go to chat GPT and that's the whole world, for the people who don't write, that's going to be fine. But the people who actually do write and continue to practice, that's something that chat GPT doesn't have. And I like what your idea with consensus that's really interesting is the real, if you're looking at the business models, it's taking specific industries like life sciences, and actually being able to validate it, which is another big question. How do you do that? Like, especially vaccines, right? Because we're not even hearing information from people overseas 
who are like looking at overseas outside us who are looking at things that we don't consider like in the us it's very compressed of what's actually even in the science world being able to share alzheimer's is the same way oddly alzheimer's has this weird focus on one end and the rest of the research is almost ignored and that one end is not working it's not bad but they can't it's not actually helping solve the problem which is sort of limiting science and it's, I don't mean this is a conspiratorial thing. It's just the nature of money and, and influence and the way things go. But the takeaway is there's going to be a huge business for like validating information, providing alternative views. Can we provide, and I don't mean to get holistic, but I do a lot of holistic stuff for myself. I'd rather start for my health and my diet than just necessarily look for a pill or something outside myself. Again, my bias. Not to any scientist here, but I do know that I can do certain things myself. Could that be included in the mixture as we're looking for solutions? Not just this is the way, this is the only way, this is the truth, because real science is right. And as an outsider, is like as I jokingly say, marketing. My job is to always prove myself wrong, not to prove myself right. <laughs> and could it, could you teach an AI that? That would be really cool to help us but not replace us. Yeah. The other thing I saw this morning, again, uh, Brian Morgan, who, you know, I do some, get some writing instruction from, but he was, again, he always says it better than I do about the value of your voice. We don't just value people's opinions. We value their thinking. And if you don't know where it came from, like it's writing is a transfer of trust and thought. And where is the trust and who are who are we trusting if we get a bunch of text in front of us, even if it's right, air quotes, <laughs> who do I go to when I have a problem is really what it comes down to. Like, who's accountable for that? Right. And you don't have a, like, who's the editor? Because it's easy for somebody to plagiarize something. Not easy, but easier. Um but still, in the end, it's funny because that usually gets found out. And I really find that, like, when I look for a voice, I and it's funny you say it because I'm always looking. I can hear a hundred people talk about the same subject. And frankly, as I joke, we're all like, you know, somebody has an original thought and then a thousand cliches come up. And then a new breakthrough thought comes, which is a good thing. But a lot of people are just there to sort of, like, retell what's already known. And a good writing, a good anything, whether it's scientific writing, it's actually got to add something to discussion, provide challenges, and have an established record of trust that I think AI is going to have it, but I find it sort of hard in terms of generative uh, AI is what they're calling this, that we actually create stuff. Not just what's the limit, but to your point, like with MidJourney, which is a graphic AI, um, I've used it. It was okay. I don't really like I'm, I'm a painter, but I sort of splash stuff on the thing and I try to act like I'm five. I don't want to know how to paint stuff. So I'm so not a painter, but it's fun for me. It's an intuitive thing. But when I went there and people were creating images, it was all recreating what had already been out there. Beautiful stuff. And, and nice. I can see like I like it for creating some graphics. But in the end, is this actually creating something? Unique and original, and the interesting thing is if AI takes over, does unique or original matter? I think it does, but again, that's a belief system. I think that's what makes it important, why somebody wants to read me or listen to me, hopefully, is that I'm adding to the conversation. I'm not just mimicking 
what I've heard from others. Yes. I mean, that's um, part of the conversation I have with my wife, who's an artist. Like, will you appreciate art? And I go both ways on this one. Like, most art has a story behind it. You want to know what the thinking behind it is. And it could just be as simple. Sometimes it's just as simple as, I like how it looks. It's pretty. I made it. That's what inspired me. Because on the other end, someone writes up this long story <laughs> to explain a piece of art, and you're going, no, or I don't care, or whatever, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't buy that. Nevertheless, so that's one aspect. And then, yeah, adding things to the conversation and original thinking. So that sort of comes to one of my concerns is about outsourcing or just eliminating new thought and everything is going to be recycled. And one of the articles I saw this week, I probably read more articles this week than I have in years, uh, <laughs> was it was on somebody's Substack. Oh, and the former CEO of Evernote was talking about his quote was how chat GPT is going to shit all over its own data. In other words, when all the content out there was generated by an AI and now is training the next generation, it's sort of a machine learning group think. Like, of course we all think that. That's all there is out there. Garbage in, garbage out is the old rule. Right. And, and there and, is, and you have to, it, remember, it starts with a prompt. This is the one thing I don't think most people think. I can't even teach most people in how long I've been on the internet since the dinosaurs owned the internet in a good way. And people still can't Google stuff because they can't stitch together five or six keywords. that give them exactly what they want. I, I enjoy that. I use Google and others, DuckDuckGo. I can find anything I want anywhere at any time. I love it. I'd send these other people out there and they really have trouble because they don't know how to form a thought. So you're, it's nice, let's say ChatGPT becomes this uber intelligence and this inferring and it's just creative and yay, you still have to ask it the right question. <laughs> it doesn't start yes. from like, <laughs> it starts <laughs> with a word and a, hey, like I run a site about um, uh, history and so I want to ask a tough subject. I like to ask things like this, hard subjects, not, you know, give me something, give me a poem written by Donald Trump. Sorry, but it was just sort of funny, but Donald Trump's got a lot of data, so it could easily do that. So I actually asked about anti-Semitism. And it was sort of funny. I'm like, this will be interesting, but it had such a generic view of the subject, which is okay. I wasn't looking for genius, but it was funny. Did I ask the subject, could I have asked it from different perspectives? I can go into like layers and layers. And honestly, if you want a great article from ChatGPT, you need to go into those layers. And that's where I think it's not going to threaten us. And by <laughs> that, do you mean, because this is an example I saw where you get an answer and then you ask another question or you refine your question. Because apparently, at least the person I was looking at thought that it could get better answers by reframing as if it was learning on the fly kind of more about what you wanted to know and could get more specific or something like they, they found like the first answer on the third question was way better than the first answer on the first question. You know what I would say? They learned to ask a better question. 
Right. Okay. Because and, and, and it so can learn. A... I mean, it, it's it's there is influence, and it would depend on the subject. But I still think it's like because it's really that person updating their question, and it does have this intelligence. I've actually hit. I hit. You do it again. Do it again. Do it again without changing the question, because mm-hmm. I want to see. And generally, it's still pretty much. There was a couple of subjects where it would start something new, but it wasn't able to like give me a whole new perspective. Unless I asked, like, let's say anti-Semitism. Could you give me an anti-Semitism perspective from a Jewish person living in Russia in 1938? Okay. <laughs> Which would be a really different question because you'd have it from Stalin, you'd have it from Hitler, you'd have all this stuff coming at you. That's easy. I've, I research on the subject, so I'm not trying to get in some dark spot. But it just is a great point of perspective because if I had asked it the right question, because asking something generic and broad then I've got to narrow it down. And I think, you know, I don't want to, I, I think this intelligence could, it's probably has a lot of knowledge, but I don't think yet it's prompting me. And I wish it would to say, Hey, cause again, it comes down to, if I ask a really killer question and I'm really detailed, which is funny because the most people I see doing that well are writers who inherently do that in the outline. And then you bridge the outline. And then it's the same with research, right? You get deeper and you're like, wait, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. I don't think it's got to that level, though your friend may have a very different experience because it's giving you lousy answers, lousy meaning yeah, generic, like the anti-Semitism one was just 101. You could Google it. You could Wikipedia. Let's put it this right. way. It was a I wiki answer, which yeah. is probably where it got most of the data because it's a very controversial subject and does not want to deal in the different viewpoints. It doesn't have that breadth of experience. But if your friend is able to do it and what they're doing is adding to the frame, adding to the question, adding layers of from this point of view, from that point of view, could you consider this, this, this and this? It's basically asking you to outline the question. And I do think it could improve and maybe it can learn, but I don't think it's definitely not now. It's not the point where it can understand. Like what I shouldn't say that. I think in some subjects, maybe it can, but. As it learns, maybe in two to five years, who knows? It's going to get really good at some stuff, but still, it's only on a on just for Chat GPT. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you ask a really bad question, it can only give you a really average answer. So maybe the skill set will be asking really great questions. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, the one AI writing program I tried, I think it's called Jasper now, or it used to be called Jasper. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. They changed mm-hmm. their name, right? Um, it gave me a great outline. In, in fact, it's what I used for the first post in CC Life Science. Um, and I was very happy with the outline. And I think, as you say, it's better... You need to learn to ask a question, and then it's sort of giving you another prompt, which is the outline. And I go, oh, you're right. I didn't think that I would include that part, but that is a good thing. I'll go dig into that. And so that would speed up my process, regardless of the fact that it can't write in my voice and I don't know if it's telling the truth. But it can certainly, I can identify things that I should be talking about if it puts them in front of me. No, and Jasper's really, I probably think it's a far from, I haven't used it yet, but from what I've read from people who use both, it's really, they like it a lot. And I saw somebody, I'm actually a really brilliant guy named Sean Vossler, who um, has an AI prompt group. That's actually what it's called, AI prompt. 
it's all, and he's so smart. I, I don't know him personally. We're just Facebook friends, but a lot of my buddies who do copywriting and stuff know him. And I got in the group and he actually put up his first prompt, which funny was an image because he didn't want you to take his text. Good for him. But what was really, because <laughs> he's really smart. It'd be crazy. He oh, gave he put the, the article text in a picture is what you're yes. saying. Yes. He screen captured <laughs> so he could share the prompt, but not have you just rip them off in a good way. And I'm not going to try to give you every layer, but it was basically a very well thought out prod, uh, paragraph. And what I found fascinating about Jasper is I didn't even know this term, Bell's Letters, B-E-L-L-E-S-L-E-T-T-R-E-S, I believe. It's a French term, sort of a fictional way of writing as a style. And so he asked in Bell Letters style, I learned a new word. And what was funny is they have these different styles built into Jasper. And so, but all I'm seeing from the group at a very high level is that he'll take that, but he will totally write it himself. No one, I feel, who's really skilled at a writer level, which he is, is really taking this just verbatim. That they're, I won't say lazy, but people who aren't writers, people who are just trying to spit something out, they'll be that element everywhere. Um, but it'll still be like, unless you take it to another level, it's not. And even if it does, I mean, just think about it. If Chris, if it's that simple, for even five years from now, me and you just to write a question and... <laughs> Boom, we're essentially going to get a different flavor of the same article. It's going to be vanilla or chocolate, you know, flavor, but it's still going to be the same info. It's not going to dig in deep unless it helps prompt us and ask you better questions that it can. Or maybe I'm wrong, because this is where I think the real business model is. Let's say you apply that to life sciences. Could you apply the whole scientific practice of question, answer, research that I don't know, but I'm just saying it's like there's a whole rigorous thing. Could you put that to be able to upload your information and then give you feedback on it, on how to improve your research paper, how to improve your writing, how to improve your communication, how to turn it into a presentation, how to maybe reference other like really killer resources that you haven't covered? That apply to life sciences. That's where the real goal, not just life sciences, but in general, to that, it's going to solve a specific, I won't say solve, but it will help a specific person in a specific industry be able to do something with it. Because I think this generic, I can write a play. I mean, I've written a play. The audience didn't like it. And that's okay. That's part of the game. It's good feedback. <laughs> no, it's not like, you know, it's creative. Who knows, right? You're like, and, and whatever. It's not like they they understand because they would have to understand the audience. And the audience who's reading it, you got to really know. If you're in life sciences, you know, the hopefully you know the rules. You've been through stuff. You have experience that will lend to your being able to communicate in that space. I love AI as a brainstorming tool as an augmenter of what you're doing, also to be able to look at your language and your wording, maybe your like readability is bad. Maybe you need to do like little, like a grammar, like Grammarly really is. And for general sense, this is AI. So how that can help you be able, especially as young researchers starting out who run the same thing a young writer does. I'm saying young, just generally. Yeah. Need experience, yep. need mentors. I use Grammarly feedback. every day. And, you know, talking about life science, you know, you could ask it, of course, you know, in the old days, go to the library, look up all the papers, you know, hopefully you got at least got a list off the internet of those papers before you had to go look them up or whatever. But (laughs) 
what are the important unanswered questions in my field? Like get right to it. Like, because maybe you don't have the big view or you can't find every reference or tracking them down one by one and trying to read the papers gets you somewhere different than asking the AI, what's the controversy here? What hasn't been figured out? And, you know, what looks promising? Maybe there's undiscovered gold there. Well, in terms it, of what you should be researching next, not not the answers, but like this is a problem that's no one's thinking about, and it's it's an opportunity. That's no, that's a that might be ten years down the road, but it's, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's a lot of promise, so it's interesting because if you do any sort of academic writing, your sources are everything. Like when I did my master's thesis, my professors were just brutal on me in a great way. Yeah, that's a nice source. You're basically using the source to say yes to what you're saying, which is what most of us do with sources. Validate me now. We're not actually saying that this is good. But imagine if you went to PubMed in a specific subject and there wouldn't it be the source that got cited frequently. Not that that's always right, but that might be an indicator of a thought leader um, and, and going across different articles versus ones that not aren't cited, but that are cited less or don't come up, that it would give it some way of weighing whether this is current. And, and it's so hard with science or anything, right? This is just currently what we think, you know, to be able to go to the next level will always require some form of critical thinking, breaking things down, and then actually like, you know, it's like somebody taught me when they're, when they're, you know, if you land a plane, they always sort of land like this <laughs> because there's crosswinds. And if you went straight for the solution, you'd be off to the landing right. pad. You got to equate for the crosswinds. So I'm saying from a research level, you have to ask those hard questions so you get to the right answer. Because if you think it's a linear line between A and B being the solution, you'll end up going off the, the virtual landing pad here and crashing because you're basically expecting it to not be able to do what you do, which is look at deeper meanings. And this is what our brains are amazing computers. They're like, we don't even tap half of it. So that's where I'm less threatened. Not even, I wouldn't feel threatened. I just feel like as a friend, as a helper, as somebody who's been isolated and not been able to get feedback on different subject matters, and I mean that in a good way, like it's hard. Usually it's either in academia, it's like these people you can't reach. That's going to be pretty cool that you might actually get something that would give it to you. But unless you take it and make it something new, you're just rehashing stuff. And I think AI can't solve that. <laughs> yeah. I just had another wild idea about you talking about most cited papers, but maybe there are. Now I'm really getting out there. Really good papers that the AI can identify, not only for the quality of the work and the writing, but that it's on the right track that isn't cited enough. Like yeah. based on reading a lot of things going, this seems to be right, but for whatever reason, that investigator or whoever doesn't have the influence that an earlier first mover had in that field and is getting swamped out when really, because there are certainly cases of that, uh, I'm sure throughout history of like 
Now, you know, that guy said that 20 years ago and nobody believed it, but finally we figured out he was right. Heck, I, Isaac Newton was an alchemist. They would have killed him. So, <laughs> <laughs> not, but it's sort of weird as we look. But that's yeah, Galileo would appreciate it too, I think. <laughs> but what if you could like, and actually say, okay, because you're so right, because the thing with most cited is the group think. And I think that's where a lot of what we have from chat GPT and stuff is very group think. It has to be. Okay. It's like any of us. If you start, you're trying to fit in the group or whatever. You're going to see all this information that you look for patterns. But how do you find the pattern that doesn't fit? The person who's actually not cited, but through whatever methodology of actually like reading, just like we do, like you'd read something you're like, wow, this person's like intelligent. I don't mean that in a weird way. It's sort of like, you know, as I always say, it's always like in search of science for intelligent life, as Lily Tomlin once wrote. How do we find intelligent life? And when you see somebody who's like that and using AI to prompt and be able to give a broader reach, to give broader opinions, I don't think is the first round, but that would be because it'd be very easy to say, okay, here's the most cited. Now, what can we do that refutes the most cited? That would be so scientific and so valuable to the researcher going, wow, to give you that person out in the middle of smallish, whatever, non-Harvard, just joking, but you know, the to move beyond right. the Ivy League bias and into somebody who has an original thought and that it's cogent enough to read it through, like, not like a human would be, but to be able to have certain evaluative things and say, you know, this should be considered, even though it doesn't agree with the most cited article. Alzheimer's is a great example of that. I mean, just they're really focused on this one end of the research and it's almost impossible to get recognized on the mm. rest to provide solutions. And I don't know what the answer is, but they know that what we are focusing on is not the answer. Yeah. It's helpful, but it's not like you're never going to cure it that way. Let's put that. That's all I know is that that one method, I can't even quote it because I'm not that scientific, but basically there's this path that everyone gets okayed on. It's very much a group think. And it's almost impossible to come up with different ways of looking at the brain and neuroscience and things way beyond my understanding to prompt a new answer. So what if it, what a fabulous use of AI to actually train it to think intelligently and critically and to help you when you're researching and then you add to it, then this thing becomes really like collaborative. And I think that's what I see as the promise of AI as a collaborative right. tool. Yeah, in general, I mean, we could go on forever. I want to sort of wrap this up. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, we started on LinkedIn and I made some statement about AI should be for the impossible, not the inconvenient. And here's a, there's an example. Like no one could possibly find these needles in the haystack or whatever things, but here's a way, you know, and in the same way that Google's brought all the information in the world to our fingertips here's a next level sort of thing to find things that you would never discover or would only discover by accident much later down the road. To, yeah. Cause you're searching for an answer, but more to think ahead of you a couple of steps, like your friend. And when he asked the question, if he didn't have to ask it two or three times, if it prompted him, wait, here's some possible paths you can go down or reframes or, or like, here's what I'm asking. What's the opposite of it? That's what I always like to say. It's like, okay. Cause that's, um, you ever heard the term steel manning? Um, it comes no. out of, 
It's a, is that uh, the opposite of a straw man. <laughs> I think so. It's interesting. I, I haven't read the book yet, but basically, I heard it from an investor. And Steel Manning basically is like, if you and I are having a debate, and I'm uh, one point near the other, I take your point and I try to prove mm. your point, so I can actually understand, and it actually creates consensus because I'm not trying to tell you my point. I'm trying to better understand your point. And it's a it's an exercise of okay, let's stop thinking like you are. Stop thinking. Start thinking like in a debate the opposite point, and you'll learn so much more doing that. So I try to do that in marketing. I try to do that in any communication. Is how can I think like that other person? Be clear to them, and best I can, and forget about what I think is meaningless. As I go in marketing, I'm like I just want to know. Not I'm not going to know what you think. But the more I look at from your point of view and less from mine, the less I'm going to try to push you into something. And the more I'm going to try to listen to you, be aware, witness what you're doing and go, wow, here's how I could fit into your world rather than trying to read you some elevator pitch, which is like, unfortunately, I'm teaching that next week. So that's one of my things is like, leave the elevator pitch in a remote world. There are no elevators. Um, (laughs) Well, while there's a remote workers in this space, but what's funny is it's not about trying to just give a script and just repeat it to a person, but listen to what the other person wants. So what if AI could actually do that to your point and be able to say, Hey, now I'm going to not only give you your answer, but I'm going to give you the anti-answer. That's powerful. That would be really cool. I love it. Yeah. Fascinating, man. It's such a deep rabbit hole. I mean, you could go everywhere. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we'll be doing this again. Maybe. I was going to say a year. It might only be six months till we have something new to say. But Declan Dunn, thank you so much for this. This was a blast. Uh, people listen to my podcast know that I measure them by how much my cheeks hurt because I'm smiling the whole time. I'm having so much fun. And this is one of those. So thank oh, you. Oh, wow. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I'm really uh, a pleasure to share what what futuristic views we have for something that's just <laughs> happening now. Who knows? Yeah, my pleasure. Nice.